Tonight's New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 10 through 14, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. John 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That, is which is, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Happy New Year, everybody. It's a pleasure to be with you all. My name is Andrew Russell, one of the pastors here. Um, and I usually lead the singing. And I just want to say it, it was so beautiful to hear your voices. And before the throne of God above, I just, that's the point of worship. It's not about the people up here, but it's about the congregation together as one body lifting up the name of Jesus. So thank you for your beautiful voices. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus because it is the only name uh, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And Father, I confess, Lord, that I am a weak, uh, anxious, that I am in need of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, O oh God, that your word would speak. It would not be uh, me speaking, but it'd be your word, O oh God, your Holy Spirit speaking to your people. In Jesus' holy name, amen. And so tonight I have the uh, awesome privilege of kicking off a new sermon series, and it's called Jesus Talks Family. And basically throughout this series, um, we're going to be looking at Jesus' views on various aspects of the family. Throughout the series, you'll hear Jesus' own words regarding hospitality and diversity. Uh, you'll hear Jesus talk on what it means to look like a family member, the values of God's family, family conflict resolution, and family inheritance. And this evening, um, I will start at the very beginning, looking at how one gets into the family of God. I'll be looking at two things, conversion and adoption. But before I get into uh, the sermon, I want to share a story. And I'm going to share a story about how my, when I, before I met my wife, we were dating. And on one of our first dates, I took her to a cult meeting. Now, 
if, if any of you in here have been in a cult, my apologies to you. I don't want to minimize the trauma that's involved in that. Um, but I'm going to tell you a funny story. I hope it's funny. You know when, when someone says, I'm going to tell you a funny story, you'll be like, okay, now I've kind of raised the bar, right? So uh, let me tell you this story. I took my wife to a cult meeting, and I did this unintentionally, of course. A friend of mine asked if I wanted to have free organic food and some Jewish dancing. And so I, I thought to myself, you know, organic food is expensive. And, and I was, uh, well, right after college, I was in my uh, mid to late 20s. And at the time, I'm like, man, organic food is expensive. So let me ask Stephanie and get a free date. <laughs> so we entered this uh, colonial style home. And as, we, as soon as we walked in, I, I felt like I'd walked back in time. Uh, to the little house on the prairie. The men were, they were wearing these pale linen dresses with their ornamental ropes around their forehead, and the women were wearing the same type of dresses with, with ropes around their waist. And, and they all stopped their conversation as soon as we walked in, and it was like we were the first outsiders they had seen in their entire life. And it was a, it was a surreal moment. Uh, we, we sat next to the leaders of this cult, and they began to convince us of their view of reading the Bible. And they all lived together in this commune with men, women, and children. And each person shared how they gave up their jobs, how they dropped out of school, how they gave up everything to join this cult. And they were, they were very neat, and they were so put together, and it was almost robotic. And as we ate, I thought to myself, if, if they decide to lock this door, how will I escape? <laughs> and then I also thought, you know, could I, could I take the leader down physically if, if I had to do, you know, if, if things go south? And then finally, I was like, what will I tell my future in-laws if anything happened to their daughter? So all these thoughts are going on in my head. And now many of us, we, we view family as like my cult experience. Families must be neat, you know, well put together, not necessarily with ropes around your head or waist. But you, you can't show guests how messy you are. Uh, it's a place where everyone does their chores. They, they chip in. They live together. They share life with one another. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. However, at, at some level, we all know that families are messy, that families are broken, Tonight, I want to enter that messiness and talk about how God bursts new life out of the messy. And the way into the family of God is not the way that you think it is. It involves a, a reorientation of your understanding. Um, uh, it, it requires faith as we walk toward in the unknown. And we all think we know what it means to be born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus. But we will rediscover, like Nicodemus, that we still have more to understand. Now, when people hear the term born again, many uh, evangelicals, when I say evangelicals, I'm talking about Bible-believing Christians. Many evangelicals believe that it means to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. And many Pentecostals believe that being born again means to be baptized into the Spirit 
and then received the gift of speaking in tongues as confirmation of that baptism. And many Catholics believe that a sacramental baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is needed to be born again and to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know what you think being born again is, but the Greek word born again means to be born from above. And this puzzled Nicodemus because he only knew of one type of birth, and that was physical birth. And Nicodemus, he was a man of noble birth. He was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, a Pharisee, they, a Pharisee in Jesus' day is a very influential religious sect in Judaism. And they emphasized personal piety and were known for strict adherence to the ceremonial laws. And in fact, there were over 600 laws that they adhered to. They believed in the resurrection of the dead at the end of time. They also believed in an afterlife. So this idea of being born again in terms of spiritual rebirth was not completely foreign to the mind of a Pharisee. And the Sanhedrin, which Nicodemus was a part of, uh, was a Jewish ruling council. And it was a council of about 70 men that had political power to basically preside over the daily life of the Jewish community. And so he, he was both, uh, he was a religious and a political person of influence. And he was well learned in the Jewish faith. And as a Pharisee, he followed the law perfectly. He was devoted to his faith. He, he was a man of integrity and goodwill. But all of that didn't qualify Nicodemus to enter into the family of God. For, for a Jew reading this story, it would appear that if anybody is qualified to enter the kingdom of God, Nicodemus would be first in line. I mean, he's rich, he's powerful, and he's pious. The combination of these characteristics would seem like the height of every human achievement, right? We all want to be financially stable. We all want to be independent, people of character, and influential. And yet this man was not qualified to enter the kingdom of God. We all know this, right, that we're not saved by works, but by grace. But take a second look. Jesus was talking to a, a faithful church-going believer, someone who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even he could not enter the kingdom of God. So often we, we base our entrance into the family of God on a decision that was made as a child or an adult. And look, and that is all well and good. And I'm going to share my testimony of how I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But being born again is more than just a decision. And I'm not trying to question anyone's authenticity, but what I am trying to do is to ask you to consider what it means to be born again or born from above. 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, four, chapter 2, verse 14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, they are foolishness. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, you might say, Andrew, if God loves the world, right? If God loves everyone, then how come everyone isn't saved or born again? The answer is because entrance in the family of God is not 
the work of us. It's not the work of a man, not the work of any woman, but it is the work of God. And we actually are just like Nicodemus. We prefer another way into the family of God. We would rather have intellectual assent uh, as an acceptable way. Intellectual assent basically means just uh, agree to statements of faith and then you're saved. Nicodemus, like many of you, are seekers of knowledge. Uh, we want to understand deep truths. We, we believe being born again is simply affirming biblical doctrines. Many of us, like myself, uh, have grown up in religious homes and have gone to church and have professed faith in Jesus, maybe at a young age, and all that is good, but that, not what it's, but it, that is not what it means to be born from above. Many of us see Jesus as a great moral teacher and, and like Nicodemus, seek to abide in his moral teachings, but that's not what it means to be born from above. Many of us believe that being born again is a matter of deeper insight into the true nature of the universe, a, a greater awareness that there is something more, but that's not what it means to be born from above. Jesus says, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, then he or she cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus truthfully responds and he says, how can this be? How can this be? Now, being born from above, it's a mysterious work that is both physical and spiritual because it's of water and of the Holy Spirit. It is of water by means of cleansing from sin and is by the Spirit by the means of regeneration from death to life. Like physical birth, it is a work done to you, and being born again or born from above deals with the theological term that's called regeneration. Can look at your neighbor and say regeneration. So that's the, that's the new uh, theological term for today. So I'll, I'll be looking at a little bit of what, what in the world does it mean to be regenerated and how does this uh, relate to being born again? Now, systematic theologian Louis Burkhoff describes regeneration as an act of God by which the principle of a new life is implanted in man and the governing disposition of the soul is made holy. What this means is that under the influence of the Holy Spirit, men and women are radically changed in their entire being to move towards the things of God. Regeneration affects the intellect, the will, and the emotions. It's instantaneous. It's the work of God's Holy Spirit whereby a person is, is made aware of their sin and their need of a Savior. And in regeneration, we are passive recipients of God's work. We cannot earn it or be moral enough to gain it because it is solely a work of grace. One cannot hope to receive the free gift of salvation by faith and repentance unless God circumcises one's heart and revives your soul. And we read it there in Ezekiel 36, which says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so the reason God has to act and perform a divine surgery on us is because we cannot follow God's law without a heart transplant and without a renewed spirit. 
We were born in sin because of Adam, the first man's disobedience. And the disposition of our heart, as it says in Genesis 6, is bent towards the thoughts of evil continuously. No amount of moral striving can change our ways without the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration. So I'm going to share my testimony, my story of how I came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And maybe this might connect with some of you, maybe it might not. But just want to show you my struggle of, of trying to figure out what is regeneration and what it means to be born again. Now, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my, father, my grandfather is a Baptist preacher. He's 100 years old, um, and I, he retired maybe two or three years ago. And my father is currently a, a senior pastor uh, and a missionary within the PCA, and, and he and my mother are planning a church in the Bahamas. And so I, I grew up in church, and I heard the gospel numerous times. And as a, as a young boy, I grew up in a, in a Baptist church. I don't know if anybody of you have been to a Baptist church, but in the Baptist church, when they, they have the altar call, and you have to walk down the aisle for the altar call. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so all right. So basically what that means is the preacher uh, gives, talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ and says, does, does anybody want to receive Jesus? Uh, so close your eyes, and those who do, if you want, you just walk down the aisle and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So my grandfather, he always had an altar call at the end of every sermon. And when I was about five or six, I, I knew that I was a sinner, and I knew that I needed a savior, and I prayed, and, and I asked God to save me many times in church. But I was too afraid to walk down the aisle. I, I always had a sense that uh, I wasn't secure in my salvation. Uh, my church back in the Bahamas, they preached that you could lose your salvation, and so you, you needed to make this decision. And consequently, I, I didn't have peace in my soul that, that God could love me or that God could break the bonds of sin in my life. And I had a very legalistic view of God. I believed that when God was, uh, that God was satisfied with me, with me when I did good, and that I had a one-way ticket to hell waiting for me if I messed up. And so I, I lived in this constant fear of God, and not the godly fear that leads to worship, but the fear that leads to hiding. And in 1994, uh, my parents felt called to, to full-time ministry, and we moved from the Bahamas, and we went to Orlando, Florida, and, and my dad went to RTS, which is Reform Theological, Theological Seminary. And while he was in seminary, he, he remember, we grew up in the Baptist church, and Baptist uh, is different than Presbyterians. And so my dad would come home, and he would bring this uh, reform theology, the doctrines of grace, or, or TULIP, or the five points of Calvinism, total depravity and unconditional election and limited atonement and irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints. And if you don't know what that is, you could ask Sam. Uh, he'll, he'll, break, <laughs> he'll break it down for you. He's, and then uh, uh, who else is a reform? Alicia Akins is, is, is in RTS and Ryan. So you could ask them what that means. So but my dad would come home and he, he would bring this, these doctrines of grace, this reform theology. And I had numerous arguments with him in the, in, until midnight, sometimes one o'clock in the morning, because I couldn't wrap my head around this idea of predestination and, and the order of salvation. So um, I, I'm like, when does the Holy Spirit 
opens your eye and regeneration and, and then uh, how do you know if you're predestined and, and does total depravity mean that no one is able to come to God? And so, and then I'm, I'm like, how does God make one alive? How does, how does this work? The one theme that hit me though over and over again was the topic of grace. I knew that I didn't deserve God's salvation. I, I knew that I deserved to spend eternity in hell because of my sin. And I remember reading Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, which says that we're saved by grace and not by works. And I really uh, tried hard to, to work my way to God and, and constantly felt like I'd fallen short. And I remember when I was 14 years old, I, I was kneeling on my bedside and I prayed that God, Lord, I said, Lord, I, I'm, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm trying to save myself. And, and I know that I need you and I don't know if I'm supposed to feel something. I don't know if there needs to be some evidence but, I, Lord, I want you to know that before I die, I want you to know that I, I need you, that I don't want to live one day without you. And so at that very moment, I, I realized I couldn't save myself. I needed God to make a heart, heart transplant in me, to do something that I could not do for myself. And since that day, I've been living in that grace, and that grace that makes a, a legalistic Pharisee a child of the king and it's messy because birth, new birth is messy. I have five children and I've witnessed uh, numerous, um, uh, we have had, we've had a lot of home births and I'm not going to, I'll spare you the details, but, but, but birth is messy. And, so, and, and our walk with, with Jesus is messy as well because new birth is, is, is a work of God and, and when God takes someone who's dead and makes them alive. Now, brothers and sisters, being born from above like I said, it's a work that only God can do. And no amount, no amount of arguing or debate can save someone. Only Jesus can save you from your sin. Only Jesus can make you want the things of God. Like, like Nicodemus, many of us ask questions like, how can this be? How can I suddenly believe in God and, and accept the Bible as the word of God and seek to live my life in service to God? How can I change old habits? How can I be made new when I feel steeped in the old? First, it takes trusting in God's word. Jesus says that you must be born again to enter the family of God. Do you trust Jesus' word? Jesus says that you can enter, Jesus says that you can enter the family of God. Do you believe that? And Jesus says that you can only enter if you're cleansed by the purification of water from sin, which is through trusting in his shed blood for you on the cross, and by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So my question is, do you want to receive this gift? What do you have to lose? Your, your reputation, your, your sense of control, your independence? You see, when, when God brings you into his family, he gives you the right to become adopted children of God. We have a partner ministry called DC 127, and DC 127 seeks to address the need of fostering an adoption in Washington, DC. DC 127 reports that there are about 1,300 children that are in, in DC foster care, and hundreds of those 1,300s are awaiting adoption. 
And so they seek to unite churches to address this need. And, and many of you are involved in DC 127, and many of you are uh, already uh, considering what does it mean to become a foster parent, to bring in a child who comes from a broken home into your own home and share with them the love of Jesus. And I, and I thank you for your heart of grace and compassion. And according to a recent report of WAMU, which is a news reporting community out of American University, D.C. is facing a shortage of foster parents. And child welfare advocates say that this is putting children at risk of harm. Aubrey Edwards, a senior policy attorney at the Children's Law Center, she said this, we've seen cases where kids have been exposed to a lot of violence. They've been physically hurt, but have remained in their homes because DC's Child and Family Service Agency has not had any placements for them. You see, God is in the business of adoption. He wants not only to give us a home, but he wants to give you the, he wants to give you the right to become children of the Most High God and to call him Daddy. He wants to give you full access to his time, to his listening ear, to his unending spiritual resources, which are in the heavenly realms for you to access on the earth. And most importantly, he wants to give you 24-hour-a-day access to his love. Being adopted by God means you have, you've been given certain inalienable rights. And when you are dominated by sin, when old desires and old ties take hold of your life, you have the, the divine right to walk in freedom from sin's domination. You can tell those old destructive patterns of living that you don't own me. You're not my daddy. My heavenly father loves me with an everlasting love and he will never leave me nor forsake me. He removed the past condemnation over my life, and he has called me to be holy and righteous in his sight. My daddy says that I'm a, a restorer of the ancient ruins and a repairer of ruined cities. The domestic violence I witnessed and the abuse I took as a child enslaved to sin no longer defines me. I am a child of a loving father who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for me to enter into the family of God. Now, I don't know where you find yourself. You might be in the, the foster care system of doubt, of unbelief, of shame, or of pride. You might think you are unworthy of God's love. You might think that you don't even need to be in God's family, let alone be in any family that makes demands on your life. You might think that you are in God's family because you grew up in a Christian home and you have adopted Christian practices. So wherever you find yourself, know this, that being born again into the family of God means that you have been regenerated out of love that God has put his Holy Spirit within you. He's made you alive to see your need for Jesus Christ. And without the Holy Spirit, there is no way that you would want the things of God. Now I'm going to close with this. Uh, you know, I have a skeptics group, and at one of our meetings, I went around the room. And, I, I, and in this skeptics group, basically it's a group of people who uh, 
people who you know struggle in their maybe struggling in their faith or maybe don't believe in the spiritual realm or uh, I mean we have people from all I mean Hindus ex-Jewish ex-Catholic all type of people and so I went around the room and I and I asked people I said you know whether you have a child or not if you had a child and, may, and let's say this child was at an age where they could understand, they maybe, you know, five or six or maybe a teenager. If you had a child and you could tell this child one thing, the most important thing that this child should know about life, what would it be? You know, so we went around the room and, and some people said, you know, it's, it's to show compassion. They would, they would, they would teach their, their child that if there's one thing that they could pass on, it would be show compassion. Or another person said, get a good education. Another person said that they would, they would teach their child to read stories because in the reading of stories, they can understand another point of view. Another person said that if they had a child, that they would teach this child to question everything and find their own meaning. But do you know what God would say? If you ask God, God, if you had one child and if you could teach, if you give this child just the most important thing about life, what would it be? And I believe God would say this, beloved child, the most important thing for you to know is that you were born because I love you. And therefore, your existence is filled with meaning and unlimited potential. You see, uh, we, we are born because of a relationship. We're, we're not born uh, into God's family because, uh, because of, you know, someone wants to show compassion. All these things are great. But we are born because God decided to make us alive by the power of his Holy Spirit to regenerate us so that we could want the things of God. And that's the only way into God's family. The only way into God's family is for God to show up in your life to make you aware of your need of him. And in that need, you will see that there is nothing else that's more important. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we realize, O oh Lord, that we need you. Father, when we hear the term born again, it, it, it brings a lot of baggage to it. And Father, I pray, O oh God, that you would show your people tonight that being born from above, means that Jesus Christ has made them alive through the power of his, of his Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ has washed them from sin, that Jesus Christ has, has, has given them desires that, 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 that is so new and foreign that it's like they've never experienced before. And I pray, O oh God, that tonight that you, O oh God, might regenerate your people that you, O oh God, might help your people to see their need of you and that the only way into, into the family of God is by your work, is not by anything that we can do. And so, Father, we stand.